It's also storytelling is a relationship building tool. So mm. even if it feels incredibly one-sided if you are the one telling the story it is an exchange between you the storyteller and whoever is listening to you and if you think of it as a dialogue if you think of it as a conversation even if no one's interrupting you and interjecting their side of the story or their own story it is a way to forge connection welcome to what works the show that explores how small business owners build stronger businesses without the shoulds and supposed tos. I'm Tara McMullen. I'm going to keep this intro brief because I want to dive straight into this conversation between me and storytelling expert Hillary Ray. Now, why devote nearly an hour to the concept of story and storytelling on a business podcast? Because nothing fosters human connection faster than a story. Stories are the most direct way to tell someone else or a whole audience of people an important truth about you. Stories give us shared experiences and emotions to build relationships from. Stories make even the biggest concepts or most technical information feel real. Practicing storytelling has been a game changer for me in the way I communicate and market and teach, and I believe that it can do the same for you. So settle in for this conversation on connecting with story with Tell Me a Story founder Hillary Ray, recorded live in a joint event for the What Works Network and Standout Podcast Club. Welcome to our first ever What Works Standout Podcast Club crossover event. And there is no one that I could think of that would be better for this role of guest for this first crossover event than Hillary Ray. We're going to be talking about storytelling for podcasters today, but the way we're going to talk about storytelling and the way we're going to talk about podcasting really relates to any kind of content that you're creating. So whether you're creating content for your blog, for your newsletter, for video, for Instagram, for TikTok, story is an important component of how we communicate. And that's why I was so excited about this idea of tackling storytelling with Hillary. And I have learned so much about storytelling from Hillary, and I'm, I'm really excited for you to learn some of that as well. And this, of course, ties into building an audience that we're talking about at What Works this month, because storytelling is such a great form of communication. It also helps you connect with more people and thereby build your audience. So let me formally introduce Hillary to you, and then we'll just jump straight into it. So Hillary Ray is the founder of Tell Me a Story, a communication consulting and coaching business that trains multi-passionate entrepreneurs, mission-driven leaders, and committed change makers on how to use the art of storytelling as a powerful communication tool. In addition to Tell Me a Story, Hillary is the producer and host of Rashomon, a long-form narrative storytelling podcast where one family tells every side of the same story. Hillary, again, hello. Welcome back. Yes. <laughs> I already said it, but I'm happy to be here with you. And it's here. So let's just start off with sort of like broad strokes. Why is storytelling good for business? Yeah, I think, and there's a myriad of reasons why it's good for business. If you are a sole founder of your business. And even if you have a team, you still feel like your voice, your vision, your mission, everything drives the work that you do, whether it's a service that you offer, uh, a product that you're selling. 
it is a way to amplify your founder voice. So not just like your snappy tagline or your brand values or your specific marketing messaging or service description, but it's a way to show up within your company, but also show people that you're a human being outside of your company. So I think that that's a huge way that it is impactful for business and a reason to explore it as a tool in your business. And the other thing is it it differentiates you. Uh, not only are all of you experts in your industry, in your niche, in your specific framework and methodology, but you are also the expert and the authority on your life experience. And so by embodying both your you know, business expertise, um, industry expertise, as well as your life expertise, you can really uh, deepen connections and build trust with whoever your audience is, whether it's one person in a sales conversation or a bigger audience in a podcast. I love your point about differentiation um, and also like showing ourselves as human beings outside of our businesses. It goes really well uh, with the, the episode that we just released with Felicia Sullivan, where she was talking about seeing people as people and not as transactions or wallets or potential sales. And so, you know, it, it goes both ways. I think if you want people to think that you value them as humans, then value yourself as a human and tell your own stories as well, right? It's also storytelling is a relationship building tool. So mm. even if it feels incredibly one-sided, if you are the one telling the story, it is an exchange between you, the storyteller, and whoever is listening to you. And if you think of it as a dialogue, if you think of it as a conversation, even if no one's interrupting you and interjecting their side of a story or their own story, it is a way to forge connection. It, it, it occurs to me that maybe I need to back up here and actually ask you to define story because <laughs> mm. I know this has been not, uh, a, a point of recurring contention between us <laughs> because <laughs> I use the word story in all sorts of ways that are not literal. So how do you define story just so that we are all on the same page? Yes. And I want to name that there are multiple definitions of story and they all are worthy of being there. And you can all have your own definition of storytelling. In the work that I do, I when I say story, I'm talking about a first person narrative story, a personal narrative. So whether I am the storyteller or I'm supporting someone in sharing their unique story using I. And beyond that, the, the definition that I give, and I think this definition translates across styles and mediums, is a, an experience shared with a beginning, middle, and end. And that's it. Okay. Well, that's very simple. Thank you. <laughs> there's, so, there's so little in life that is that simple. I, you know, I appreciate a simple definition. One of the things that I have learned from being in your presence over the last couple of years is that there are different types of stories and different categories of stories and that knowing what those things are can help us identify the stories that we want to tell. So what are some of the different kinds of stories that we should be thinking about as we're planning and creating content? Yeah, the, the sort of bigger concept of the three types of stories that I see and and maybe where there can be hesitation of how to use story and how to show up and give voice to the things about yourself that you want to share with other people is that I see storytelling and especially when it's a first person story as a three pronged 
experience. So there are stories we tell ourselves, which again, that's a, a phrase that's used a lot and can really mean self-limiting beliefs and reframing the narrative and all of that. So there, are, but there are beginning, middle and end experiences that we tell ourselves that are maybe true, maybe not. There's the stories other people tell about us. And I think in branding, there is a lot of emphasis on like how you wanna be received and perceived. So what is that story that makes sure that you're received and perceived in the way that you want to be? And then there's this third idea of the stories you choose to tell other people about you. And that about you can be you, your work, what you stand for, et cetera. And so I believe that if you focus on that third prong, the stories you choose to tell other people about you, the story you tell yourself starts to feel more in line and the stories other people tell about you starts to be more in line and you do have more of a sense of like, oh, I am going to be received, perceived as I'd like to be, as my brand would like to be. So within that bigger realm, there are like different types of stories, like themes and categories. And I'm happy to expand on that if that's helpful. Yes, please. Yeah. So there's the hero's journey, which I am someone that has now taken a firm stand of that there's more to storytelling than the hero's journey. And you don't have to follow that type of storytelling to share a story. That's not the only format or formula. Um, but I do believe that everyone should have an origin story. And I see an origin story as a story that serves you in the present moment that answers that, how did you get to where you are now question, but that if you focus on the, where are you now? And you focus on the end, like where, like you're going to have a new ending tomorrow and the next day and the next day and things will shift, but where are you now? And that could be physically, literally, figuratively, energetically, circumstantially, business-wise. If you focus on that, you can pull all of from all of these other experiences that have gotten you to that place. And it's not that you share all of them. And it's not that you start at the very beginning of your journey, but you can really find the, the life experience to zoom in on that illuminates where you are now in a way that makes you feel really good as a storyteller and also helps people understand you in the way that you want to be understood. And once you have that story, it really unlocks the other stories that I always think of it as this core story that then you can, if you have other ideas of things you want to share about yourself, your work, um, what your podcast is about, all of that, they can always spin off of that core story. Even if your audience hasn't heard that core story, you understand how it's connected. Well, that leads me pretty well into my next question question. A lot of people are very skittish about talking about themselves, telling their own stories. And I think when we start talking about origin story and all of the, you know, I think, you know, we want it to be this really triumphant story, but I think a lot of us have a lot of, of pain and a lot of things that we're not super duper proud of in those origin stories. How can we make telling our personal stories a little bit more comfortable? Yeah, this is a really good question. A lot of the common hesitations I hear along those lines come in the, well, why would anyone care about my story? Mm. Especially if, well, I'm speaking to my very specific audience and I'm not my customer. So why would anyone care? Um, or I'm not at that at my desired end yet. So I want to wait until I'm in this place, either like a goal, like a monetary goal or like a career milestone or like a personal development milestone. Um, so I have to wait 
I'm just going to stay quiet and, until then. Um, or the big one, what if someone doesn't understand who I really am? Or what if nobody likes me anymore? <laughs> Which that, I mean, those are fears that everybody, we all want a sense of connection. We all want belonging as humans. And actually what storytelling does, and I'm not a scientist, but there is a lot of research around this, is that it makes us see ourselves in the person who is sharing the story. Mm. It equalizes things it, even if someone's sharing a life experience that i have no like i haven't experienced that thing and i don't have the same perspective on it if i am there and listening and engaged in what they have to say then i am going to understand them more and i am not going to hate them i'm actually going to like feel energetically pulled to them and connected to them and want to know more and want to understand and so i think trusting that like trusting the the structure like trusting beginning middle and end and trust um that you know like it takes some figuring out of of why do i want to tell this story and what do i want my listener to do if i could control what they do what do i want them to do once they've heard it it could be a very small thing it could be a huge thing and and if you do that checks and balances there with what do i why am i telling this and what do i want the person listening to do and you have that in line and you feel like, ooh, this is the story that's serving me now that is illuminating this me specific message, this specific piece of my business that I need to communicate, this theme of my podcast this month. If, if all of that's in line, you can trust that it really will do everything for you. It's almost like it's um, a story can be its own confetti cannon without you having to like, you know, do high kicks and like, have like a sequined top hat like it your story can do so much for you and all you need to do is be present in it and share it with the person on the receiving end now on the flip side of this idea of getting more comfortable telling our own stories one of our members asked about the idea that our marketing stories should make our customers the hero of the story i would love for this word hero to be erased from the the canon of small businesses and podcasts for small businesses. Because I think in Western culture, when we hear hero, or at least when I hear hero, and when I think of a hero story, I think of Marvel movies. I think of, yeah, Marvel movies, the Avengers, Disney, um, kind of bro marketing of like, I have this seven figure 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 business and I'm going to like crush everyone in my path to like get seven more figures, that kind of thing. And there's a lot of, um, without going really deep into it, like systemic problems with the hero's journey and, and seeing hero it's, it's a very masculine form of storytelling. It's a very white supremacist form of storytelling and it doesn't give people opportunity to listen to new ways of talking about oneself um, mm -hmm. or telling stories in a different style. And so, yes, I believe that your customer, your audience wants to see themselves like in the way that you're communicating, but they can actually see themselves in you communicating something very specific about you. And it's one of those things where the more specific you get and the more you can paint a picture for them about who you are, um, the circumstances in which you're, you're sharing in your story. Like for example, if you have a customer that is nervous about like taking the next level in their business, I don't know, in, in that's a very broad stroke. 
you can come up with a story that's not necessarily a, a story of you nervous about taking a next level in your business, though it could, but it could be a story of being nervous about being seen or um, meeting people for the first time. It could be something where it's like a related emotional state, but you can tell a story that's completely unrelated to what they're going through. But if you can tap into the emotional state that you think your audience is experiencing or the multitude of emotional states that they could be experiencing, they can see themselves in you and your story. Can you talk more about finding those emotional ties and like how unrelated is too unrelated sure. <laughs> to find the story that's gonna work? Yeah. So I have an example from a, like very early on in my business, I was, I was developing Tell Me a Story as a business part-time and it was a live storytelling event in Philadelphia. I went to a business plan writing class workshop at night through um, the Wharton School. And I wrote the business plan and I felt like really great about what I was going to do with my business. And I was assigned to these two MBA students that were, I got free consulting after I had this business plan. And so I would meet with them a few times a week. I would go to Wharton and I had always felt like very official. And I always had that little bit of like, what am I doing here? What, what am I about to do kind of thing? And one day I went in and I had done all of this research. At the time, I had this idea that I wanted to contact every single Toastmasters organization within the greater Philadelphia area, introduce myself and tell them why um, they should have a guest come in and speak about storytelling. And at the time, I think I just like I ran like I Google, I did a search, I made a spreadsheet, I like noted how I wanted to communicate. And so I brought it in to them. And they were like, you came up with this on your own, you did this on your own. And I was like, Yeah, I just it makes sense. Like, I think that there are people in these groups that I would like to speak to. And so after we did that, we really they helped me try to figure out, well, how am I really going to reach them? And the one consultant, Chelsea, suggested to me that I literally go door to door, like go into office buildings where I knew that there were Toastmasters organizations and go like up to the desk of one like department at uh, PricewaterhouseCooper or wherever and introduce myself and ask to speak to someone to talk about my work. And the idea of this, like I imagined myself with like a rolly suitcase and like a, like a boxy suit and like I was selling pens or medical equipment. I was like, what? This doesn't make any sense. And so I gave a lot of pushback. I was like, well, why would I do that? That's not how I am. That's not how I want to communicate and all this stuff. And I just wouldn't listen to her. She launches in to a story and it starts with when I was deployed in the Middle East. And from there, she tells the story about being asked to, to deliver a message to people that were like across a desert and how terrified she was to actually physically go there and communicate what she needed to communicate and how she tried to come up with all of these other ideas of how to get the message across and that she basically had to travel through a desert to do so. And not only did it persuade me to consider what they were asking me to do, which spoiler alert, I did not go door to door, <laughs> like as a pen salesman selling storytelling services, but I was completely on board in listening to her in thinking about it in a way that I hadn't thought about it before. I remember where we were sitting, like physically, this was like six years ago at this time. I remember where we were. I remember that her name is Chelsea and I haven't spoken to her in a million years. I don't remember the guy's name that was there, the other consultant. Um, and I remember how it made me feel to, first of all, I was like, oh, she was deployed in the Middle East. Like she was this tiny little 
Wharton business school student. I would never have known that about her. And so it made me even want to know more. And I asked follow-up questions even additionally about where she was in her life. So that's an example of, it's not a podcast related example, but an example of a story that motivated me, helped me see the person as an expert in a whole new way and made me trust them and also made me think about my own self-limiting beliefs. Well, that might just be the best example to any question I've ever <laughs> asked that, that, is, that I think hopefully made a lot of sense for people. Also, there were lots of comments in the chat about how they are so down with getting rid of the concept of hero as you described it. You're going to hear about eliciting stories from guests and telling stories when you're a guest on someone else's podcast in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by the Standout Podcast Club. Are you a podcaster or aspiring podcaster who wants to create a standout show that helps you to grow your business? We would love to support you inside the Standout Podcast Club. The Standout Podcast Club is your hub for the training, coaching, and networking you need to produce a podcast that grows your small business. Inside, you'll find a complete blueprint for producing a podcast that gets noticed, attracts an audience, and helps you grow your business. Stand Up Podcast Club is more than an online course. It's a dynamic, community-powered coaching hub that helps us help you on every aspect of how you produce your show. If you run into a question, ask. If you're looking for feedback on an idea, tell us. If you want to talk trends, strategy, or planning for the future, start the conversation. We want to help you use your voice and grow your business, and so do the other podcasters inside the club. We also offer a roundtable discussion and Q&A call each month so that you can meet up with other podcasters, get your questions answered in real time, and learn new of-the-moment ideas for your show. Find out more about Standout Podcast Club today by going to standoutpodcast.club. That's standoutpodcast.club. What Works is also brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now, social media has given us a pretty incredible way to meet people we would have never met in the analog world, but it can also be a pretty scary place, especially for sensitive conversations and vulnerable questions. When Margot Blackstone and Marin Green started asking themselves whether the audience of birth workers and birthing women they were building was really being served by mass social media platforms, they realized that the policies and culture on these platforms just wasn't helping them create the conversations that they wanted to facilitate. So Margot and Marin moved their brand and its community, the Indie Birth Association, to Mighty Networks. Moving into a private, dedicated space online had immediate results. Margot says she noticed that more people were engaging with their courses, asking questions, and talking to other members. Margot and Marin have opted to make the Indie Birth Association a private network that's free to join. Members can jump into both paid and free courses, as well as paid and free groups. The Indie Birth Association launched in February 2020 and today boasts over 2,000 members. Mighty Networks made it possible for Margot and Marin to create a safer space for braver conversations about birth online. What could Mighty Networks do for you? Learn more about the successful communities that call a Mighty Network home and give it a try yourself. Go to MightyNetworks.com. 
Let's get into interviews now. Mm -hmm. And we're going to tackle this from two sides. We're going to tackle this from the side of being an interviewer, which is a little bit more podcast heavy. But we're also going to talk about it from the perspective of giving interviews, which applies to or could apply to everybody here. And I know it's something that people are really thinking about exploring more. So starting on the we're doing the interviewing side, you know, yes, sharing our own stories is a is a really important part of how we communicate and how we talk about our business and how we talk about ourselves. And also we have this phenomenal opportunity as interviewers to get great stories out of our guests. This is something I have been working on for the last couple of of years, and it's been such a rewarding and satisfying process. How can we get better at digging for and eliciting those kinds of really great stories uh, from the people that we're interviewing? Yeah, I think it's about creating a process as the podcast host or producer, creating um, an interview process for yourself. And what I mean by that is, is it necessary when you're soliciting guests or where if someone's pitching to you and you say, yes, this is in line with what I want to do. And you book them as a guest. Do you then only speak to them again, right? When you're doing the interview, do you want to do a pre-interview to have them get to know you, um, the style of how you like to ask questions? You can ask things of them in a more relaxed way to kind of get a feel for how they speak and what stories they might share off the cuff inherently. So it's, I would say like, I really enjoy being pre-interviewed and I've also done a couple pre-interviews for my narrative storytelling show. And just to really like get the speaking patterns, speech patterns of, of the person that you're speaking to and their like communicate natural communication style And then if you know something about that person or if you have a hunch or a curiosity about an experience that they've had, I think the next step is really to craft questions that will be open-ended enough that they can launch into a story, whether they realize that that's happening or not. And so instead of maybe asking a very pointed question or filling in the details of the story you think that they're going to tell, as as many open-ended questions as possible to start. And then it's really your job to actively and deeply listen, whether you're taking notes or just really focusing on what the person's saying to ask follow-up questions or maybe ask them to, depending on how much you like to produce your show and edit your show, ask them to say something again. Like if you are getting the the punch of the thing that they're sharing of like, oh, I want to zoom in on this or I want them to start over and and start from like a different place of the experience in that interview time if time permits and if you feel confident in your editing or know that you have someone that can help you in that regard have people go back and and slow down. i was just told in an interview on friday to slow down um for something that was going to be highly edited and i was telling stories but she really wanted me to paint a very specific picture and when i slowed down i i wrote about this in my newsletter today actually i new memories came to mind of like what it actually was that I needed to talk about. And so I surprised myself. And it was also so refreshing because I could talk about something new and I connected a dot live in the moment. And then I could have so much fun retelling the story in a new way. And so I think as host, decide how much help your guest might need or how much you want to shepherd 
their storytelling. And you can do that in a pre-interview or in the way that you're asking questions and in the way that you're editing and producing the show. I have always had aspirations of being able to do a pre-interview, but it I just have never been able to make it work. But what I do do is make sure that there's some sort of back and forth conversation ahead of time, like asking people questions instead of just pitching them or doing my own research even before I pitch someone so I can say, this is what I see happening in your business. Is this accurate? And would you be willing to talk about this on the podcast? That for me has worked out really, really well for finding stories that I would not have been able to tell otherwise. I'm curious if there are any sort of specific question prompts or questions starters that can help you get into the the storytelling mode with your guests a little more easily. Yeah, I I have borrowed a preamble from the one and only Terry Gross. I had the good fortune of spending a day at Fresh Air a handful of years ago as far as part of a fellowship I was doing in audio storytelling. And I uh, sat in on her interview with Michael K. Williams. And uh, she gives this preamble, and I think it's probably public. You could find it somewhere. Of It's sort of like instead of having people sign a release form, which some people do want their guests to do, um, she gives the release form out loud. But the way that she says it is something along the lines of, I, I know what I want to ask you about. If there's anything that, I'm a, that I say that makes you uncomfortable or you don't want to talk about it, please let me know. If there's anything that you want to say in a different way, you can stop yourself and start over. And again, she has like a team of producers that can, <laughs> can finesse everything for her after the fact. Um, and then she offers herself, I think, in a really open way. Like if there's an uncomfortable question or if the guest is not going in the direction she wants, then she'll offer a bit of herself as the the gateway to deepen that conversation. And so I would say there isn't like a standard opening line, but I think having either like before you hit record or even on record that kind of moment of consent or moment of of setting the reason why you're speaking today and and what you each hope to get out of the conversation can just build trust and comfort to allow people to open up in in a new way. And I think also my background is in audio documentary. And so the first interview I ever did was with this woman who worked at a post office in Philadelphia that everyone had called Prince Lady because she had decorated her whole little uh, counter space with Prince paraphernalia and she had Prince tattoos and she wore like Prince clothes every day. And I knew I wanted to interview her because Prince had just died and she was the first person that I actually thought of when I got that news. And so I just went in to the post office and stood in line as if I was mailing a package. And I went up to her and I just introduced myself and said that I would love to have the opportunity to interview her. And here's what I I thought of you when Prince died. Would would you be willing to have this conversation? And she said yes there. And then we met a couple of days later and we sat in her car and I held a microphone up to her and she shared everything about her experience with Prince and the experience of him dying and going flying to Paisley Park. And it was really just that I offered myself to her first. I told her what my agenda was and I went to a space. I know so much of these interviews are virtual, but I went to a space where she was comfortable and I really was just there to listen and ask follow-up questions as necessary. The vulnerability piece, you know, actually, I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about that 
piece before, you know, one of the things I coach podcasters on is the kind of the preamble that you were talking about earlier. Like, I'm going to ask you some things. If I get into anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, let me know. Like you do not have to answer it. Also, if you say something and regret it later, like this is why we have editors, right? So I do that and I work on our po- with that uh, with our podcasters, but I don't know that I've ever heard that vulnerability piece spoken of like that and I think it's so true. I know when I am most successful as an interviewer, I am bringing a piece of that vulnerability to the table, but it's not something that I'm conscious of and so I'm going to be paying attention <laughs> to that more myself. So let's flip this flip the table a little mm-hmm. bit and talk about it from the interviewee's side. Mm-hmm. When we're being asked a question, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, frankly, we're being asked questions by not very skilled interviewers because interviewing is really hard. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't do interviewing, it's really hard super rewarding, but really hard. And so I think a lot of times we're in, we get asked questions that lead our answers to places that aren't as helpful as they could be. How can we use story or how can we think about structuring our stories so that we are presenting our ideas and our examples in a way that really reflects best on us and helps us connect with listeners? I, when I, go on to be a guest on podcasts, which I love doing, I start that with the pitch. So I do a lot of research, both on like, can I tell if this is edited by somebody? Do I like the audio quality? Am I interested in the conversations that are being shared on this podcast? Do I like the host? Like all of those things. I do my own sort of assessment. And is it the right show for me to be on before I even reach out? But when I reach out, I frame my pitch with with different story angles that they could choose from. And there are story angles that I specifically think would be in line with the audience. And I don't have to change my pitch that much because I'm pitching to places where I know the audience enough to know that what I have to offer will be in line. So I start there. And so I'll put little teasers for the stories. And so when they, when someone says yes to me, I know they're saying yes to my stories. I'm at a little bit of a weird advantage because I talk about storytelling. So it is often expected of me to share (laughs) a story as an example. But I think even if you do have, if you have a business that's unrelated to storytelling, you're actually, you have more to pull from. So it's actually more interesting and exciting, um, in my opinion. Um, So I start with the pitch. And then as far as like going in, whether I've seen questions in advance, or I'm told like, oh, this will be a casual coffee style conversation. I have stories that I keep, I call them back pocket stories. They are like, it's either a version of the origin story that serves me in the present moment of my origin story or a story related to the theme that we're going to explore. Or I know one that would resonate with whoever's listening and deliver the message I'd like to deliver. I have those ready to go. There are stories I've worked on. They're not memorized and I don't ever deliver them the same from one guest appearance to the next, but I know that I can pull them out when a question is asked of me. That makes a ton of sense. And it seems like that's something that while preparation will help with, practice is probably the main thing that you need to do, right? Yeah, and practice on the podcasts. Like you can practice with people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like just try it one day on a podcast and see how it feels for you and for the host. And then when the final episode comes out and then you can try it again and it won't, 
I mean, chances are the next podcast won't have the same audience. So it almost won't really matter if you tell the same story again, but it will not come out the same way at all. Um, so know that you also don't have to have a hundred stories if you're planning to be on a hundred different podcasts. I heard something recently from a client who works with executive leaders. She's like a executive leader, consultant and coach and women leaders. And she said that she feels comfortable in the rooms with the mid-level executives. And she feels like she can share more of herself and, and feel like on the same level and yeah, show up authentically and use stories as a teaching tool. But then when it's C-suite, she's like, well, I can't do that. I can't show up because it's C-suite people. And I was like, well, what if you just thought of every single person, whether mid-level or C-suite as a human being, would you change what story you're going to tell? It's vulnerability, but it's also that you're taking a risk in trusting that you don't need to change who you are for your audience. The message might change, mm. the call to action might change, your intention for telling the story might change, but you don't need to change your story. That's very powerful. <laughs> That is very powerful. How do we go about brainstorming the stories that we are going to tell? Yeah. So I like to say that you have to live your life before a story can become a story. And I I actually was recently asked on a podcast if I lived my life for the sake of tell, for of mining stories. And I was like, no, 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 I don't do that. I think that there are people that do that. And if that's what they want to do, that's fine. But that's not my approach. And that's not what I recommend. And so I think... There's two ways to approach like, oh, what story am I going to tell? If there is like, I'm a very visual thinker and learner. So I see like my memories come as like photographs in my mind or flashes, like scene flashes or things. And so if something is coming to me often, I don't discount it. I will like write it down in some way, like even if just a few words and I don't then, and if it's something I think I want to communicate professionally, I don't, um, stop and think like, oh, is this aligned with my messaging and my values and like all that? I just hold on to that idea. And I have a story bank and and my clients all have story banks, like a literal spreadsheet of <laughs> where they'll log their stories and they just put a couple words that will remind them of what it is that they want to talk about. And so there's a way of mining for stories or exploring your memory bank where you're just worrying about the story for story's sake these little glimmers of ideas and kind of see which one, oh, do I think that has a beginning, middle and end? Do I feel energized by working on that or telling it to a friend or a partner or someone that in a very relaxed, low stakes way and then see what happens with it? Oh, now that I'm speaking this out loud, I understand more why I want to share it with an audience. Who's the audience I want to share it with? What do I want them to do? It goes back to those two questions, the why am I telling this and what do I want the audience to do? And then you can do like a checks and balances there and be like, okay, yeah, I think that I could use this story in my newsletter next week or as the intro for my podcast. So that's one approach. The other approach is like making a master list of all of your calls to action um, and all of the teaching points you want to give across, like to share with people or a signature talk that you have or a theme that you're delivering over a course of episodes on your podcast and work backwards to find the stories. But what I find what happens in that regard um, is that you're going to choose more surface level stories or obvious mm -hmm. stories or stories where you're really tied to talking about your business, like a behind the scenes story or 
a story that just doesn't feel like it's really sharing with people who you are. So I always recommend that um, digging for stories from for story's sake. And I have a resource that I can share with everybody as well um, towards the end of this, where you can grab a PDF with 30 story prompts. So you can look at them all on one list. And I, I don't say then go and work on 30 stories, but if there's one prompt that's really standing out to you and it does sort of spark your memory bank and light you up in some way, start with one story and, and go from there. So good. Yes. Looking forward to that resource. Um, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, we'll link to it in the show notes, of course, and definitely subscribe to Hillary's newsletter too. I'll give her a chance to plug herself, but I'm going to plug her for now. Go subscribe to our newsletter. Go find that link in the show notes. Get this guide. You mentioned the idea of taking up space and our fears around taking up space. And I've been, I was reflecting on this from a conversation we had oh, maybe a year and a half ago and rewriting a piece that's going out in a couple of weeks around this idea of like building an audience requires being willing to be visible, being willing to take up space online and storytelling is the same thing. Do you have any tips, any, any words of wisdom for us on finding peace with taking up space? Yeah. This is something that I grapple with at every, I, I, again, I'm going back to this idea of like the expansion of visibility. I imagine as like a blind, like going up and up more to there being like a fully lit window. And every time I like go to that new, like the blinds rolling up a little bit more, I like feel that like, okay, like what's going to happen if, if I do this, but I, a couple things. I remember I try to channel what it's like to be on the receiving end of somebody else taking up space. So whether that's like, for me at first, it was like sitting in the audience of a storytelling show and hearing someone tell a story and how did that make me feel? What was I left with? I call them story snapshots. Like what was I left with once that person finished their story? Was it their face, their name? an image, a message. Like I remember a talk that I witnessed a handful of years ago by this woman, Sarah Zia Ibrahimi. And I don't even remember the story she told. I know she told a story about her mother and I was very enraptured, but I remember the message that I was left with of the talk was about equity and creating more space at the table and inviting people to the table that wouldn't normally be there. And it was the first time I had even heard that analogy, which I feel like has come up a lot in, in the business world and equity, social justice world. Um, so I remember that message and I remember the feeling of being there fully engaged in her sharing who she was and taking up space. So I always like to think of that and think, okay, as an audience member or as a listener, what am I called to do when I, when I am witnessing somebody taking up space? Am I going to reach out to them directly? Am I just like having that story snapshot that, I'm holding with me, am I seeing myself and my work in a new way? And so trusting that and trusting that if you're feeling all of these, these ways about people and it's really impacting you and you feel connected and you feel trust and you feel like I could be in the room with this person forever, like I feel so connected, then know that you are offering that to the people that are your audience. And so that's the thing. And then the other thing is, Again, it goes back to that this, and I know Tara, you talk about this too, this like intrinsic motivation mm -hmm. and making sure that you know why 
you are taking up space in the way that you want to take up space and you trust that and you trust that you've done the work, whether it's making the podcast and putting it on an RSS feed, which honestly, for me, when I first started my storytelling podcast, I was so scared because I was like, I don't know who this is going to at all. I can't, I will never know who this is going to. Um, but even at like introducing myself to someone that maybe I was scared to say my name in front of or things like anytime, um, I just give the benefit of the doubt, um, to the other person and also remember what it's like to be on the other side of it. Mm, that is a beautiful place to wrap things up. Hillary, two questions for you. One, what are you excited about right now? Our perennial ending question. And also, where can we find out more about you and tell me a story? Yeah, I'm really excited about, I am in season three of my podcast, which was, I always saw as separate from my business. And I finally feel like I'm in a place where I am like taking a risk of it being my own story in this season when I was really worried about telling other people's stories. And I'm experimenting with the style of it. Um, but I also have four interview episodes coming up at the end that are more two-way style interviews that are all about different perspectives on storytelling and identity. Um, so I'm just really excited about making it. Like I'm having so much fun making it. Um, it's so, it's more, it's been an easeful and joyous process, which it wasn't in the past. And I'm excited about the rest of the season going out into the world. And then what was the second question? <laughs> Uh, where can we find out more about you and tell yes. me a story? Let me <laughs> Take up some share. space. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm going to share in the chat um, a page where you can get a PDF of 30 story prompts. And then tellmeastory.info is the best place for all things storytelling and there's a resources page. And then I also have a monthly free gathering called the Speak Up Session where I encourage people to give voice in some way at the event, you can either be a passive participator and, and contribute in the chat, or if you have a burning question about taking up space in storytelling, you have opportunity to speak it out loud and have a conversation around it. So I will share the link to that in the chat as well. Awesome. Hillary Wright, thank you so much for just everything that you have shared about storytelling and how we can incorporate it into our podcasts or the other kinds of content that we can that we create to support our businesses and to support ourselves as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very passionate about this subject. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing before you go, telling a story can feel risky. I might even go so far as to say that it should feel risky. The best stories reveal something about you and what makes you different, and that's vulnerable. And if it doesn't feel vulnerable, you're probably not truly revealing something about yourself or what you care deeply about. And that means you're not connecting as effectively as you could be. What story could you tell this week, even if it feels a little risky? What part of yourself can you share? I'd love to hear from you if this episode inspires you to tell a story in a new way. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. Marty Seafelt edited this episode. On Thursday, I'm sharing a pretty risky story in my weekly newsletter. And if you're not subscribed, go to explorewhatworks.com slash weekly to get on the list. 